Brady cats and kittens. I'm Whitley. And I'm Brian. And this is Deathly Afraid. Yeah. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> What's so scary? So yeah. How was your week? It was good. How was your week? Oh, you care. <laughs> uh, my week was a week. It was just a week. A week ended on a good note with. You tell me you bought Burt Kreischer tickets. Hell yes. It's not till July, but I'm super excited. Right. <laughs> when does the movie come out? Does it come out before then? Oh, I'm pretty sure it does. I mean, go watch the movie first. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'm excited. <laughs> um. Yeah. Is there anything we want to talk about? I can never... I need to start writing stuff down. I'm really bad at this. You need to start writing stuff down. I always think... I always think about things, like, before we record, and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll definitely remember that. And then we come to record, and I'm like, yeah, I don't even know. Right. <laughs> um, as always, we would appreciate if you like, rate, subscribe, leave a review. Wherever you listen, Apple Podcasts is usually the one that helps us find more listeners. If you, you know, leave a review on there. Yeah. It would be awesome. That was kind of nice this last couple of weeks, seeing that we've got some listeners in the Philippines and Bangladesh and was it Mexico? Yeah. A couple uh, out of Canada. and It was pretty exciting, actually. <laughs> It'd be even more exciting if we got some off of Earth. I don't know how that's possible unless, like, <laughs> me and Ralph thought about it at work today. And we were curious if, like, astronauts, when they're up on Mars or wherever, if they're able to listen to I don't think they actually land on Mars, though. There have been some. On Mars? Or the moon, wherever. You know what I mean? Like, right. somebody listened to your podcast on the moon. That'd, That'd be, be cool. super cool, yes. But so we were curious if they could actually like <laughs> listen to stuff like this up there. I'm so sure if they have knows, something, but comment and let us know. Right? I'm pretty sure they don't go to Mars though. Or even just being up in space in general. Right. Yeah, that'd be cool. I know they've sent like rovers and stuff out there, but I don't know that any actual people. Yeah. So anyway. It's gonna broadcast it for the aliens for us. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, if that's all business we got, I will start my story. Are you ready? I am very ready. This one is one that um our good old Sid suggested to us. It is the Beast of Jersey, which Jersey is not Shore. New Jersey. The Beast I've... of Jersey Shore. I thought New Jersey and all that, and no, it's not. 
So <laughs> it is, um, yeah, I'll tell you all about it, bro. Perfect. <laughs> Edumacate me. Prepare for some edumacation. Uh, between 1957 and 1971, the Isle of Jersey was tortured by a masked man who would rape and sodomize his victims. So you can tell this is not going to be a fun one to listen to. Right. Jersey is part of the Channel Islands located between England and France. Okay. So nowhere near New Jersey. Nowhere near New Jersey. Uh, the attacks began in 1957 with his first victim being a young nurse who was waiting for a bus at a bus stop. The man... What? Is that where you wait for a bus at? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was not at the train stop. It was She was waiting for a bus at the bus stop. So there's some education dropped there Good for enough. you. <laughs> Good to know. Um, the man came up behind her, beat her over the head, and tied a rope around her neck dragging her into a field off the side of the road where he raped her. The woman was then found after he had left and taken to a hospital where she received stitches and recovered from her attack. For the next two years, this was his MO. He would target women near bus stops, waiting for buses, or walking to Maybe the bus. Maybe they should wait for a train. Maybe. Maybe. This will happen. So for two years, that's what he's doing. He's any, like... Woman on her own near a bus stop, whatever, walking alone. He's snatching them up. And in March of 1957, he attacked a 20-year-old woman who was walking home from the bus stop near Trinity using the same method of pulling her into a field by her neck and then assaulting her. In July, he did the same thing to a 31-year-old woman. And then October of 1959, he attacked a 28-year-old in St. Martin's, also a stop. Um, all of the attacks were consistently the same manner, leading the police to believe that these attacks were all committed by one individual. Just because, you know, obviously it's all the same. Taking yeah. them by the neck, they're all by the bus stop, taking them into a field, and assaulting them. Um, all of the attacks happened between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m., which... I want to know. I mean, I didn't live back then, but what are you doing waiting for a bus by yourself between 10 p.m. and 3 a.m.? The wee hours of the morning. Right? I I don't even understand, so I will move on. All of his victims reported the attacker to be a thin man in his 40s, about 5'6", with a damp, musty smell, which... That would suck if that's how people describe it. That's how that smells. They also said he spoke with an affected Irish accent and talked about cigarettes and lighters. Which, I mean, you're attacking someone. And, like, why? What's like, why is the... I like cigarettes and lighters. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, later you find out that um, this was actually all a tactic to throw police off. Because he was not Irish, when you find out who this is, was not Irish, and he did not smoke. It makes me wonder what his Irish accent sounded like. <laughs> well, that's why they said he spoke with like an affected Irish accent, because they're like, it didn't sound right, but he had this weird-ass Irish accent. <laughs> <laughs> they're out to get his lucky charms. <laughs> they're after me lucky charms. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. So, in later attacks, he... 
he wore a homemade rubber mask and a woman's wig made of black hair. He also wore a heavy coat that was studded with nails on the lapels. Nails on the lapels. <laughs> I didn't even realize that rhymed when I wrote it. <laughs> I'm just saying it out loud. Got Dr. Seuss Whitley over here. <laughs> the attacker became known in the press as the Beast of Jersey. In the 1960s, he started switching things up and he started switching things up. I don't know why I keep doing that. Switching it up. Too bad you guys can't see her right now. I'm a hand talker. Jim carrying the mask, shaking the Morocco ground. In the 1960s, he switched things up and started breaking into homes in the middle of the night. He would take his victims outside, brutally, brutally rape, sodomize, and assault them. This included women and children. When he was done, he would return them back to their homes. What a gentleman. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <sighs> Let's go. On February 14th, 1960, the Beast of Jersey climbed into an upstairs bedroom window. The boy whose window he entered was only 12 years old. When the boy woke up, he saw the masked man holding a torch in his holding a torch to his face, blinding him. The man put a rope around the boy's neck, dragged him into a nearby field where he raped him. When it was over, the man led him back to his house and left. In March, a woman walking to a bus stop in St. Berlaud was stopped by a man who was driving by. He pulled over and offered her a ride, telling her he was a doctor on his way to pick up his wife. The woman got into the car, and once she turned to speak to the driver, she noticed his unusual apparel. He was wearing a big overcoat, hat, and gloves. She couldn't see his face, and by the time she had realized that she was in danger, he had already driven them to a secluded part of the island. He beat her, punching her hard in the face. He tied her hands behind her back, then led her out of the car into a field. Once he was done assaulting her, he led her back to the car, and they drove off. The woman decided to take her chance of escaping and jumped out of the moving vehicle and began screaming. Panicked by the noise, the man sped away. So, he's just... Just whatever he can grab, he's taking it. He doesn't care at this point. Um, later on in March, the Beast of Jersey broke into a home of a 43-year-old mother and a 14-year-old daughter. The mother was awoken at midnight by the phone ringing. When she answered, there was silence on the other end, followed by a click and a dial tone. The woman assumed it was just a wrong number and went back to bed. A while later, she was awoken again by a noise. She went downstairs to investigate. When she reached the bottom step, the lights went out, and she realized that there was someone else in the living room. She picked up the phone to call 911. I don't even know if I wrote that right. She picked up the phone to call 911, but the line was dead. The phone line had been cut. The intruder attacked the woman, demanded her money, and threatened to kill her. In the struggle, the daughter had woken up and came to see what was going on. When the intruder saw her, he released the mother and lunged up the stairs toward the young girl. The mother ran to the neighbors to get help. When they returned, they found the daughter tied up and alone. The beast had raped her before fleeing the scene. Which, I don't know why this one bugged me so bad. 
But if someone had broken into my house, was attacking me, and then went after one of my children, I don't think I would run to the neighbors. Right? I'd be running after him. Yeah. And be like, you know what? You can attack me, but don't touch my kids. Which, obviously, I'm not in this situation. I've never been in this situation. So who knows how you actually would react in this situation. But I would hope that I would not leave my child there. Right. Right. So I'm going to go next door real quick. Just Like, I get she was running to get help. And, like, maybe she just knew she couldn't take him on by herself. Yeah. But I was like, oh, my gosh. Why would you leave her there? Ugh. So, then in April, a 14-year-old girl awoke to a man watching her sleep. She began screaming to wake up her parents, and he actually fled. So, she did not get assaulted, which was great. Yeah. Still terrifying. I would be terrified if I woke up to a man in my room, besides you. I mean, that's normal. (laughs) You're terrified every morning. Every day I wake up and he's still there. In July of the same year, an eight-year-old boy was kidnapped from his bed with a rope tied around his throat. He was led to a field and raped. The beast then returned the boy back to his doorstep. Like, there is no rhyme or reason to what he is doing. It's like, when I was going through this, I was like, most killers have, like, a type or an age group or... Even a specific sex they go for. This guy's just like, I'll take whatever. He's just going for anything, and it's crazy to me. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy to me anyway what he's doing, no matter the age or the whatever, but it just doesn't make sense. Um, So then investigators actually start realizing that the attacker had to be a resident of the island. And, like, it's a super small island. It's like, I should have wrote it down. It's super small. And I think they said there's only like 300,000 people or something like that, which is small. Yeah. So they're starting to realize, you know, this, this, it has to be somebody that lives here. So they began to interview every man on the island with a criminal record, but everyone they pulled in didn't fit the description of the attacker. And then police actually requested fingerprints of every single man that lived on the island. Yeah. Only 13 refused. And one of them ends up being the beast. So um, the police then arrested a man named Alphonse Le... I can't say his last name No, Alphonse Le Gastelois... Louis? Louis? Gastelois? Alphonse Le Gastelois. I hope that's right. Don't know. Um... They arrest him for the attacks and the rapes. Alphonse was a fisherman that lived on the island. And because he was a little bit eccentric and different, police just decided that that was their guy. Like, they're just kind of grasping at straws. They're like, you know what? You look like you could be the one. We have no reason. But you look like you could be the one. So they actually questioned Alphonse for 14 hours before they released him, realizing that they had made a mistake. Maybe he wasn't the guy. Um, But Alphonse's name had already been released to the press, and his picture was in the paper. Or in the news, not the paper. Probably the paper. Newspaper. (laughs) Newspaper. So his picture was in the news. 
An angry mob had burned down Alphonse's home, and he was forced to flee the island. Poor guy. For literally nothing. Right? They were just like, we don't know who it is. We're going to say it's you. So, and then, like, he, yeah, he was forced to flee the island, and then I was reading, he, um... I can't remember where it said it was an island. I couldn't even tell you what it was now, but he ended up living the rest of his life there. And he actually didn't die till he was 97 years old. Good so, for him. I mean, he lived a long life. Yeah. But it still sucks that these people just were like, yep, you're the guy. We're burning down your house. Leave. You know? Um. So then in February of 1961, the attacks begin again. Only this time, he now focused solely on children. Which is horrible. Right? I mean, it's all, all of it's horrible. But there's just something different about children. It's just yeah. horrible. Um, by April, he had taken three children from their homes and attacked them. So he started in February. By April, he had already taken three kids. Um, police requested the help of Scotland Yard. They told residents to start looking out for each other and to set up a neighborhood watch. Like, thanks, Scotland Yard. <laughs> um, they they also created a profile of the attacker, which, you know, he's between 40 and 45. He's 5'6", medium build. He has a knowledge of the island, especially the East Coast. He has a mustache, but covers his face with either a scarf or a mask. Wears a long musty coat, hat, gloves, and he entered entered in through the bedroom windows between 10 p.m. and 3 and carries a torch. So when you're saying torch, are they talking like a flashlight? Like one of the, I think it's one wooden of those little, thing. it's not a wooden thing, you know that. It says that like he has taped around it so that just a pinhole of light comes out of it. And he like blinds them in the eyes with the eyes. He punches them in the eyeball. <laughs> well, that was my torch. My torch blinding you. <laughs> so. So kind of like a little laser pointer or something. Some they call it a torch. I'm assuming it has fire. Like, have you seen those little fire torches? Oh yeah. That's what I, I assume. They here. probably weren't. <laughs> That's just what went into my head. <laughs> I was like, "Yep, makes sense." <laughs> Burned my eyeballs, so I couldn't see. Um, I don't know. Uh, so the police kept hitting dead ends. Eventually, the attacks actually stopped for a couple years. That's good, right? Until they start again. So, <laughs> in April of 1963, a nine-year-old boy is taken from his home, dragged into a field, sodomized, and then brought back to his home. In November, an 11-year-old boy was taken. Same thing. Um, July and August, there was an 11-year-old boy and an 11-year-old girl taken from their homes and attacked as well. For two years after this, the attacks stopped. And, it, like, everyone just thought, okay, it's over. He's gone. Oh. So, it's like he goes for a little bit, stops, goes for a little bit, stops. I don't know. It's weird. It's really weird. So in 1966, the police receive a letter from the Beast of Jersey. And this is what it says. And like, it's like, sometimes it's hard to follow. <laughs> You're like, what are they saying? 
My dear sir, I think that it is just the time to tell you that you are just wasting your time. As every time I have done what I always intended to do, and remember, it will not stop at this, but I will be fair to you and give you a chance. I have never had much out of this life, but I intend to get everything I can now. I have always wanted to do the perfect crime. I have done this, but this time, let the moon shine very bright in September, because this time it must be perfect. Not one, but two. I am not a maniac by a long shot, but I like to play with you people. You will hear from me before September, and I will give you all the clues, just to see if you can catch me. Yours very, very sincerely, wait and see. So, like, apparently he didn't graduate. Nobody dropped the education on him. (laughs) Because it is not making much sense. But that is the letter he wrote. (laughs) All right. Um. So he's saying by September, right? Well, in August of that year, a 15-year-old girl is attacked. But it was different this time. So, you know, same thing. He'll take her out. Rape her. Well, this time she had long, perfectly spaced, parallel scratches covering her body. Huh. So um, after this, there were no more attacks for four years. In August of 1970, a 14-year-old boy was awoke to a torch shining in his face. He was attacked the same as all the others, but this time the beast told the boy, stay quiet, because if you don't, someone will harm your mother and father. When his parents found him, he he wouldn't talk about what had happened, and he was obviously in, you know, he was very shaken up, pretty disheveled, I would assume, you know. Yeah. It's expected that he would be pretty, like, out of it um so he wouldn't tell his parents what happened he eventually told his parents and was taken to the hospital it was found that he had the same scratches as the girl four years earlier the boy told police that the attacker had spiky black hair and a frightening mask then on july 10th of 1971 two police officers on patrol saw a morse car run a red light Brian knows I did not know what a Morris car was, so I tried to ask him. He also did not know what a Morris car was, but it is a brand of car from, like, the UK and stuff. Yeah, it almost looked like a... Almost BW like, yeah. Yeah, really similar. So, they saw a Morris car run a red light. The officers then chased him, and the driver tried to get away. Um, He ended up driving up an embankment onto a footpath. And eventually crashed into a hedge and finally stopped in a tomato field where the driver jumped out of the vehicle and tried to escape on foot. The officers chased him and tackled him to the ground and arrested him. The officers noticed the man smelled musty. And when they got to the station, they finally took an actual good look at the man and realized his very odd appearance. He was wearing a long dark coat with nails and screws sticking out of the collar, cuffs, and shoulders. When they emptied his pockets, they found a black torch with tape covering the majority of the glass so only a pinprick of light would shine through. Two pieces of cord, a wool cap, and duct tape. 
They also find found a spiky black <laughs> found the spiky black wig and a mask he wore to terrorize his victims. So after all these years, they finally found the guy. Right. And it was just like they happened to see him run a red light. Um this is getting to the part where I was giggling when I was doing my research. <laughs> so the man they had arrested was Edward Pansel Pazel Pazenal. Edward Pazenal. I can't say it. A 46-year-old family man with a wife and children. He worked construction and came from a wealthy family. He had no criminal record. He was imprisoned for a month during World War II by German officers when he was caught stealing food for starving families. He played Santa at the children's foster home at his wife, where his wife worked, which also kind of made me wonder what was he doing stuff to the foster kids, too. You know what I mean? Like, that kind of made me feel uneasy for those kids. That's what you were laughing at? No, that's not what I was laughing at. Sorry. <laughs> Definitely not what I was laughing at. This, I should have waited for this bullet. I'm so sorry. This is what I was laughing about. When asked about his outfit and why he was speeding, he told police that he was on his way to an orgy and didn't want to be recognized as, and as for the nails, he said he added those in case he was attacked by someone who knew martial arts. Trying to Judy chop him in the throat and you're going to get stabbed. <laughs> oh, I put these on here in case someone knows martial arts. I got a good chance. <laughs> That's why I was giggling. So I just pitched him. Pitched him. <laughs> I just pictured him thinking he's fighting off some ninjas or something. So I'm gonna some nails And then he also he refused to talk about the wager mask. So, um, police remanded him at the station and went to search his house. When they got there, they found a secret room inside his bedroom that smelled musty. And they found old clothes, homemade wigs at, with matching eyebrows. Fake eyebrows, obviously. Yes. Um, they found a camera and pictures of homes all over the island. Hazenal claimed he chose his victims years in advance, and he knew details about the families and their homes and which windows he would be entering. That's crazy. Yeah. So it's like... Maybe those times that he was having his, you know, two years off, four years off, whatever, he was just really stalking on the victims. But with how young they are when he attacks them, it's like, was he stalking them? Because towards the end, he's going for, you know, eight-year-old, 11-year-old, 12-year-old. Like, those are young, young kids. Yeah. I don't know. It just seems crazy. I mean, obviously, it is crazy. So... They also found his shrine to Satan. This included an altar, a sword, and an extensive collection of books about black magic and the occult. On November 29th, which is Sydney's birthday, <laughs> that's why she suggested this story. On November 9th of oh my gosh, on November 29th of 1971, it took a jury 38 minutes to find him guilty. On 13 counts of rape, indecent assault, and sodomy against six of his victims. He was sentenced to 30 years in Winchester Prison, 
but was released in 1991 for good behavior. If you are literally doing all this crap and they just release you for good behavior, that is ass nine. That is ass nine. That is ass ten. That is ass eleven. Yeah. What the heck? That blew my mind. Um, so then he tried to move back to Jersey. <laughs> but surprise, surprise, he was not welcome back. What? Doctor. Yeah, please tell that. So then he moved to the Isle of Wright. But it was so wrong. <laughs> he moved to the Isle of Wright, where he actually died three years later of a heart attack. Although he was only charged with 13 attacks, 13 attacks, it's believed that there was many, many more than that that didn't come forward. Which makes sense. It's like common that men who are attacked and assaulted, and I'm sure that goes for boys, whatever, a lot of those don't come forward. And there's even women that don't come forward. So it's like he could have just, you know... Who knows if he really was taking breaks for four years. You know, it's just, it's, this one was sad. I mean, they're all sad. This one, I think, was harder for me just because I do have little boys the ages of some of these boys that are being attacked. And I just can't even fathom someone looking at them in that way, let alone wanting to do those things to them. Right. And the fact that he was playing Santa Claus at the foster home. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously no one knew at the time. Like, even his wife said she had no idea. But then there was also in there, which I didn't put in here, um, it said stuff like, you know, he had a really low sex drive and they weren't even sleeping in the same room. So there was marital problems. So, I mean, I guess if you're not even sleeping in the same room, you probably don't notice when your husband's. Yeah doing gallivant around the town right he didn't come home till 3 a.m i don't know so that is the story of the beast of jersey yeah i you know sydney really knows how to pick them but i had a she'd sent me one it on tiktok and i was like oh dang that looks interesting and then i started doing the research and i was like oh there's children there's a little bit of everyone in this one so it's just it was different for me because it was one i hadn't actually heard before so yeah that's my story man and i'm sticking to it sticking to it what's your story about my my sir (laughs) (laughs) staring at me my story this week is actually one that our lemon bean why is it going so low is your mic turned down oh it's not on All those replies, and I didn't even get to say anything. Oh, no. <laughs> Brian, why? <laughs> oh, I'm not going back. I'm not That's telling fine. my story again. Are you good? <laughs> I wondered why it wasn't picking I up. I'm like, I'm like, talking into the microphone. Right, talk louder. So anyway... One that I'm talking about this week is one that Lennon has been telling me I should talk about for a long time now. It is the Irish Banshee. (laughs) I was kind of sad because I was hoping he would be in here to 
kind of tell the story and yeah, the backstory was, on it, and he kind of chickened out at the last second. He was gonna be in here to tell you guys what a banshee was, which obviously, if he was in here, I was gonna let them go first because I didn't want him to be in here for my story. But he decided that he was too nervous. You guys scare him. <laughs> he was scared to death. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, what is a banshee? Banshee or bean seed? Bean side? Bean seed? What? That's how it. Bean. Bean side? Bean sidey? Bean sidey? Bean I have no idea what Means fairy woman. So a banshee is a, it's known in Ireland as a female spirit who wails outside a home to warn of the imminent death of a family member. So one thing that really shocks me, and the only reason I knew this before you started is because Lennon actually told me I had heard of banshees before, but I had no idea it was a fairy. Yeah. That shocked me. I just thought it was a ghost. So it is a it is a ghost. Well, like they they describe it as like a fairy-ish. Okay. So often heard before she is seen. Her wailing is so high-pitched that nobody would dare willingly attempt to witness this terrifying spirit. In Ireland, the banshee does not bring or cause death. The ghost warns loved ones that death is near, giving the family a chance to prepare. Some myths say she acts as an escort to ensure that their loved one passes safely to the other side. Stories? Oh, No, you're fine. I was just going to... So she's not actually bringing the death to people she's just she's just warning the family that someone close to them is gonna pass away okay and this whole time i thought she was like some bringer of death scary lady no okay so stories of the banshee in ireland have been passed down generation by generation for centuries some legends say the banshee is the ghost of a young woman who is brutally killed her death was so horrible that she now watches families and loved ones warning them of impending death. Hmm. So that's, I think that's too why it goes into like her kind of being like a fairy because it was like a young woman or young girl, I guess. How does that make her a fairy? I don't know. So according to legend, the Banshee can also take on many forms. However, in Ireland... She has been most commonly seen as either a beautiful young woman with long, flowing silver white, sometimes red, hair, or as an old woman in rags with dirty gray hair, long fingernails, and sharp pointed rotten teeth. Well, that's the one that I've heard about, the scary one. (laughs) So both descriptions also give the Banshee eyes, which are noticeably red from crying so much. So it's not like a like the color of your shorts red. It's like like, a, like bloodshot eyes. Yeah. Okay. So here are some of the appearances that the banshee is said to take. An old woman dressed in black with long gray hair and covering her face with a veil. An old woman with long white hair, red eyes, and dressed in a green dress. A deathly pale woman with long red hair dressed in a white dress, sometimes a shroud. What's a shroud? 
I don't know. I should have looked it up because there's a couple of these that say shroud. Hmm. A beautiful woman wearing a shroud. A beautiful woman with silver white hair wearing a long shimmering silver dress carrying or using a silver comb. Do you want to know what a shroud is? Yes. Okay. It is a length of cloth or enveloping garment in which a dead person is wrapped for burial. Okay. And the last one is a headless woman, naked from the waist up, and carrying a bowl of blood. So she's topless. And headless. She's topless, topless. topless she's topless. double topless. <laughs> I stopped it. She's naked from the waist up, and just that's what I focused on. So explain her again. Sorry, she's... A headless woman, naked from the waist up, carrying a bowl of blood. Oh. Yeah. Is the blood from her missing head? Probably. I would assume. I don't know. She's so, topless. Double topless. So as you can see, there are a few variations on the description of how the Banshee actually looks. However, the fear she instills in people who have the bad luck of hearing her is always the same. What all witnesses of the Banshee agree on is most terrifying, wailing. The Banshee is famous for her long, melancholy keening, which is an Irish word that is used to describe the, the lament that women used to do over the body of a deceased person to ward off evil spirits. Hmm. Originally, it was said that the Banshee only keened for the families O'Grady, O'Neill, O'Brien, O'Connor, and Kavanaugh. However, there are stories from various other families that she particularly favorites those with an O or Mick in the surname, such as O'Brien or McNeil. Hmm. So, do you think, like, she, like, if it's someone who actually died before, like, maybe had a relation with well, these, like, maybe, maybe it's, like, like family? Yeah. yeah. That would make guess, sense. Yeah, I guess that. Hmm. So one thing I was going to ask you when you were saying like the descriptions, does each description mean like a different thing or just like that's what people... There's just different variations that people have depicted her as, I guess. Okay. So it could be like multiple banshees. Yeah. Just like this lady died and she's the O'Brien clan. Yeah. And this lady died and she's like... The the O'Keefe's? I don't know what you said. The McNuggets? McNeil. McNuggets. It's part of the McNugget clan. I would help the McNuggets. <laughs> Warn them O'Keefe. of the McNuggets. <laughs> O'Keefe? There's not even O'Keefe's on here. There was just a bunch of O's in O'Keefe. O'Grady, O'Neill, O'Brien, O'Connor. O'Connor Keefe. Keefe O'Connor. I'm sorry. <laughs> Go ahead. So stories have been passed down through generations of Irish families with their personal experiences and meetings with the Banshee, and this family was no different. So this is one of the stories I found. Okay, I'll be quiet during your story. I remember being told as a young child of an uncle who was walking home on a cold and blustery night. He was probably three sheets to the wind after partaking of a snifter to to keep the cold out. On arriving home, he told my grandmother that he had tried to comfort an old woman he met along the way. Describing her, he said, 
The old woman was dressed in black with a veil over her face, was crying and wailing outside the house. Every time he went over to her, she moved away, but all the while kept pointing at the house. My grandmother, with all her knowledge of the old Irish mythology and legends, knew straight away what this old lady represented and hurried my uncle to bed, reassuring him that she herself would have a look for the old woman. Needless to say, she didn't dare do such a thing. Then, sure enough, only three days after this strange encounter, my grandmother's brother died, peacefully in his sleep. As children, we used to plague my uncle to recount the story of the night he tried to invite the banshee in for tea. Yeah. yeah. That was cool. <laughs> so it was like, the uncle could see it and was like, what are you, like, trying to comfort her and... Come in for tea. Right? How do you say that in Irish? Ask, in the Irish accent, not in Irish. Ask your McNugget guy. Ask them who yeah, his affected accent. Irish accent. <laughs> so, one of the oldest and best known Banshee stories is that related in the memories of Lady Fanshawe. In 1642, her husband, Sir Richard, and she danced to visit a friend, the head of an Irish sept who resided in his ancient baronial castle surrounded with the moat at midnight she was awakened by a ghastly and supernatural scream and looking out of bed beheld in the moonlight a female face and part of the form hovering at the window the distance from the ground as well as the circumstance of the moat excluded the possibility that what she beheld was of this world the face was that of a young and rather handsome woman, but pale, and the hair, which was reddish, loose, and disheveled. My dad tells me I'm a handsome woman. <laughs> you float in all boats. <laughs> Where you said that? All I could think of is my dad telling me that I'm a handsome woman. So, Thanks, Dad. The dress, which Lady Fanshawe's terror did not prevent her remarking accurately, was that of the ancient Irish. This apparition continued to exhibit itself for some time, and then vanished with two shrieks similar to that which had first excited Lady Fanshawe's attention. In the morning, with infinite terror, she communicated to her host what she had witnessed, and found him prepared not only to credit but to account for the superstition. A near relation of my family, said he, expired last night in this castle. We disguised our certain expectation of the event from you, lest it should throw a cloud over the cheerful reception which was your due. Now before such an event happens in this family or castle, the female specter whom you have seen is always visible. She is believed to be the spirit of a woman of inferior rank, whom one of my ancestors degraded himself by marrying, and whom afterwards, to expiate the dishonor done to his family, he caused to be drowned in the moat. In strictness, this woman could hardly be termed a banshee. So the motive for the haunting is akin to that in the tale of the Scotch drummer of Cortachi, where the spirit of the murdered man haunts the family out of revenge and appears before a death. Hmm. Mr. T.J. Westrop, M.A., has furnished the following story. 
My maternal grandmother heard the following tradition from her mother, one of the Miss Ross Lewins who witnessed the occurrence. Their father, Mr. Harrison Ross Lewin, was away in Dublin on law business, and in his absence the young people went off to spend the evening with a friend who lived some miles away. The night was fine and lightsome as they were returning, save at one point where the road ran between trees or high hedges not far to the west of the old church of Kilchris. The latter, like many similar ruins, was a simple oblong building with long side walls and high gables, and at the time it and its graveyard were unenclosed and lay in the open fields. As the party passed down the long dark lane, they suddenly heard in the distance loud keening and clapping of hands as the country people were accustomed to do when lamenting the dead. The Ross Lewins hurried on and came in sight of the church on the side wall of which a little gray-haired old woman clad in a dark cloak was running to and fro, chanting and wailing and throwing up her arms. The girls were very frightened, but the young men ran forward and surrounded the ruin, and two of them went into the church, the apparition vanishing from the wall as they did so. They searched every nook and found no one, nor did anyone pass out. All were now well scared and got home as fast as possible. On reaching their home, their mother opened the door and at once told them that she was in terror about their father, for as she sat looking out the window in the moonlight, a huge raven with fiery eyes lit on the sill and tapped three times on the glass. They told her their story, which only added to their anxiety, and as they so stood talking, Caps came to the nearest window, and they saw the bird again. A few days later, news reached them that Mr. Ross Lewin had died suddenly in Dublin. This occurred about 1776. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. Like, so is the bird, like, connected to the banshee, or is that, like, a whole other type of... a whole of, other type of... Like, like, warning? Yeah. That's... They got the double warn... The double Dublin the, warning. Right? Warning, not warming. warming. It was definitely not very warming. No. Although, you know what? As scary as she would be, it would almost kind of be like, oh, cool, I got some warning. But then you also have to figure like, out like, who's going to die. Gonna die. Yeah. yeah. That would be scary. Because now you're like, is like, it me? You? My family's going to die. Who is it? Yeah. And you just all want to be around each other and be like, oh, shit, there goes Jim Bob. Jim Bob? <laughs> Jim Bob. I don't know. Just made up. You have another family, don't you? <laughs> it's Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy, Jimmy. Jimmy Jones. <laughs> I love Jimmy Jones. So, Mr. Westrop also writes that the sister of a former Roman Catholic bishop told his sisters that when she was a little girl, she went out on one evening with some other children for a walk. Going down the road, they passed the gate of the principal Demesne near the town. There was a rock or large stone besides the road on which they saw something. Going nearer, they perceived it to be a little dark old woman who began crying and clapping her hands. Some of, the, some of them attempted to speak to her, but got frightened and all finally ran home as quickly as they could. 
Next day, the news came that the gentleman near whose gate the banshee had cried was dead, and it was found on, on inquiry that he had died at the very hour at which the children had seen the specter. A lady who is a relation to one of the compilers and a member of a county cork family of English descent sends the two following experiences of a banshee in her family. My mother, when a young girl, was standing looking out of the window in their house at Black Rock near Cork. She suddenly saw a white figure standing on a bridge which was easily visible from the house. The figure waved her arms towards the house, and my mother heard the bitter wailing of the banshee. It lasted some seconds, and then the figure disappeared. Next morning, my grandfather was walking as, casual, as usual into the city of Cork. He accidentally fell, hit his head against the curbstone, and never recovered consciousness. That's sad. Right? I was about to laugh at him walking casual, but then you said he died. <laughs> it wasn't very casually. Was it? As he usually does. Casually, usually. So, in March 1900, my mother was very ill, and one evening the nurse and I were with her arranging her bed. We suddenly heard the most extraordinary wailing, which seemed to come in waves, round and under her bed. We naturally looked everywhere to try and find the cause, but in vain. The nurse and I looked at one another, but made no remark, as my mother did not seem to hear it. My sister was downstairs sitting with my father. She heard it and thought some terrible thing had happened to her little boy who was in bed upstairs. She rushed... rushed I'm taking after you for speaking this week. <laughs> she rushed up and found him sleeping quietly. My father did not hear it. In the house next door, they heard it and ran downstairs, thinking someone had happened. Someone had <laughs> Who happened? You tell me right now who happened. In the house next door, they heard it. And they were cleaning it. They were cleaning a dish, so they came they out. came out. Thinking something had happened to the servant, but... Ladder at once said to them, Did you hear the banshee? Miss P must be dying. Ugh. A few years ago, i.e. before 1894, a curious incident... Just a few years ago. <laughs> this is a story. So a few years before the story. Oh, okay. Jeez. A curious incident occurred in a public school in connection with the belief in the banshee. One of the boys happened to become ill, was at once placed in a room by himself, where he used to sit all day. On one occasion, as he was being visited by the doctor, he suddenly started up from his seat and affirmed that he heard somebody crying. The doctor, of course, who could hear or see nothing, came to the conclusion that the illness had slightly affected his brain. However, the boy, who appeared quite sensible, still persisted that he heard someone crying, and furthermore said, It is the banshee, as I have heard it before. The following morning, the headmaster received a telegram saying that the boy's brother had been accidentally shot dead. Oh my gosh. Right? It's like... That would be horrible. Ridiculous, like, accidents and shit is freaking crazy. That is crazy. I don't... I would be so sad. <laughs> yeah. Banshee is not confined within the geographical limits of Ireland, but that she can follow the fortunes of a family abroad 
and therefore tell their death, is clearly shown by the following story. A party of visitors were gathered together on the deck of a private yacht on one of the Italian lakes, and during a lull in the conversation, one of them, a colonel, said to the owner, Count, who's that queer-looking woman you have on board? <laughs> I know that, like, back then, that was, like, right. a compliment, but it sounds funny. So the Count replied that there was nobody except the ladies present and the stewardess, but the speaker protested that he was correct, and suddenly, with a scream of horror, he placed his hands before his eyes and exclaimed, Oh my God, what a face! For some time, he was overcome with terror, and at length, reluctantly looked up and cried. Thank heavens it's gone. What was it? asked the Count. Nothing human, replied the Colonel. Nothing belonging to this world. It was a woman of no earthly type, with a queer-shaped, gleaming face, a mass of red hair, and eyes that would have been beautiful but for their expression, which was hellish. She had on a green hood after the fashion of an Irish peasant. An American lady present suggested that the description tallied with that of the banshee, upon which the Count said, I am an O'Neill, at least I am descended from one. My family name is, as you know, Nelsini, which, little more than a century ago, was O'Neill. My great-grandfather served in the Irish Brigade, and on its dissolution at the time of the French Revolution, had the good fortune to escape the general massacre of officers, and in company with O'Brien and Maguire, fled across the frontier and settled in Italy. On his death, his son, who had been born in Italy and was far more Italian than Irish, changed his name to Nilsini, by which name the family has been known ever since. But for all that we are, Irish. The banshee was yours, then, ejaculated the colonel. What exactly does it mean? Brian, you know me. I'm not mature enough for this. I'm just reading it how the story states it, so. Oh, no. It means, the count replied solemnly, the death of someone very nearly associated with me. Pray heaven it is not my wife or daughter. On that score, however, his anxiety was speedily removed, for within two hours he was seized with a violent attack of angina pectoris and died before morning. Mr. Elliot O'Donnell, to whose article on banshees we are indebted for the above adds, the banshee never manifests itself to the person whose death it is prognosticating? Like who it's like telling you? Yeah. yeah. Other people may see or hear it, but the fated one never so that when everyone present is aware of it but one. The fate of that one may be regarded as pretty well certain. So, yeah, that's my story on Banshees. Um, so, the one where, like, it was coming, like, from under the bed, and the mom was, like, laying in the bed dying... Yeah. That was creepy. Right? It's like, it's just like they're like searching the whole room. And they're like, it's under the well, bed. Like, even the fact where like the neighbors could hear it and they like they thought something happened to their servant or like the sister downstairs heard it and thought, thought it something happened kid. to her son. And... Yeah. 
That was crazy. But the dad didn't hear it either, which was kind of weird. Yeah. Like, was the dad going to die too? I don't know. It's definitely a good one by Lennon, though. Yeah. Lots of information. And you kept telling me, I'm not going to be able to find anything on this. I think when I was trying to do it last week, I typed in something wrong or something where I couldn't find anything. But I like that. It's not like a. I didn't know a ton about it, and like what I thought I knew about it was wrong. So See, I'm actually I, glad you did it. <laughs> when I saw the banshee or screaming banshee or whatever that Lynn always talked about, I was like, yeah, ghost and just like screams, screams at, at you or something. And yeah. yeah. It was kind of interesting to see. Like, I thought it was cool was when it was talking about, like, it pretty much just helping your family into the afterlife or whatever it's just yeah it sucks though because like like you said you're not knowing like oh crap somebody in my family's gonna die like who's it gonna be yeah that would suck but like also too how you were explaining and most of them were scary looking like i don't want that helping me into the afterlife you scare me (laughs) don't so what i think of like i don't know why this just came to my head but i'm thinking of like helping them to the afterlife. What is that movie we watched with Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell? Oh, like Spirited. Spirited. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ryan Reynolds can help me in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> He's not a scary old woman. Um, I liked it, though. You did a good job. Thanks, yo. Yeah. All right, guys. Like. Rate, review, share. Follow us on Instagram at Deathly Afraid Podcast. Or Facebook. Deathly Afraid Podcast. It's a group. Um, we actually had somebody post on there. I don't think either one of us knows that we. she wants us to do some local, local murder or paranormal stuff. So we'll have to. Yeah, she gave us a couple of suggestions. So dig into that this week and maybe. Both do a local episode next week. Yeah, that would be fun. I mean, there's definitely a local one to Idaho that I've been following, but I kind of want to wait for it to finish out before I do anything on it. I'm sure a lot of you guys have heard about the um, University, University of Idaho yeah, murders that the just murders happened up last, in Moscow last year. No, it was November. November? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they've caught the guy and everything, but they're still working on the case and getting it all buttoned up. So, once that one's done, I'm definitely going to cover that. Um, You got the, what is it, Lori Vallow. You know who I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. That was the Idaho one. Um, Yeah. So, there's definitely ones that I want to cover. And then the boy out of Fruitland. I've looked into that one, too. They still never found out what happened to him, did they? Mm-mm. No, it's super sad. They definitely have people they're looking for, though. Yeah. So. I just so, don't know how people would do. Even if, like, it's not good either way, but to kids? Yeah. Come on. Well, in the way, like, with the little boy out of Fruitland, it almost sounds like Maybe an accident happened and then people panicked. You know what I mean? That's but I thought like that one lady that they took in already is like, like 
there's a few people that I've talked to that think like maybe he was out playing and she accidentally hit him with her car and was like, oh crap. And then. Right. But I mean, also too, nobody's ever come out and said that, but that's just kind of what it might feel like, you yeah. know, but it's super sad. That poor family that still doesn't have answers. Yeah. So. It's been how long now? A couple years? I think, yeah, a year, two, year or two. Two years, I think, maybe. Yeah, so definitely we're planning on covering some local ones. Keep sending your suggestions because it definitely helps us out, especially for ones that we've never heard of before. Yeah. So, yeah, we appreciate you guys. And um, was there anything else we missed? Like, rate, review, follow us. Share. Oh, listener stories. We would yes. definitely love them. Send them in deathly afraid pod at gmail.com. In the subject line, put listener stories. We're trying to gather some so that we'll have enough to do at least a listener's episode and hopefully keep getting them in. Yeah. So, so hopefully, some of you guys have either been haunted or <laughs> we hope you're haunted been to by our haunted places, sultry voices, <laughs> our musty voices, <laughs> musty, dusty voices. <laughs> But no, if you've been to like either any of the places that we've talked about or just any places in general that have been haunted or had crazy things had happen crazy to things you, happen, yeah. even true crime things, we take yeah. all the stories, man. So Anything we can get, yo. <laughs> well, thanks for listening and we will see you next week. Bye, guys. Bye.